Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. In honor of opening week, we've put together what we believe is an outstanding podcast for you today. To start off, we will be joined by the three men in the Monday night booth for ESPN, Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Louis Riddick, all on one call at the same time as they will be for Monday night's Tennessee-Denver Monday night opener in the second game of a doubleheader. We'll also be joined for the opening week of the season by ESPN reporter, analyst, fancy expert, Field Yates, offering his latest fancy advice and thoughts on the upcoming season, as well as our Super Bowl picks. And we'll have ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, breaking down the opening week of the NFL season. But in the week leading up to the opening week, it was incredibly busy as we knew it would be. And I think what was interesting about this past weekend were all the moves that were made, most notably at the quarterback position. And when we start to look at those, the one that jumped out to me right away was Josh McCown, 41-year-old Josh McCown, becoming the oldest player on a practice squad in NFL history. It's a sign of the times that we live in, McCown signing with the Eagles practice squad. And the arrangement's going to be fascinating because he's 41. He's going to be living at home in Texas, Texas, going through virtual meetings with the Eagles in Philadelphia. May not see his teammates all year long. May not practice with them all year long. The Eagles will pay him $12,000 a week to do this. And then if they need him in an emergency, they will call him in if any of their regular quarterbacks come down with COVID or anything like that. But Josh McCown, who's a great guy, who's a leader, who could be a coach, who could do anything he wants, now is the oldest practice squad player in NFL history. Again, a sign of the times. Josh Rosen has resurfaced in Tampa. And frankly, that is the best spot he could have picked because nobody really wanted him. The Dolphins tried to trade him for days leading up to the final cut and could not find a taker. And so the man that had played for Arizona after they made him the 10th overall pick in the draft and the Miami Dolphins, two years in, found himself without a team. So if that's the case, you might as well put yourself in the best situation you can to learn from the best people you can. So now Josh Rosen on the Buccaneers practice squad will be surrounded by Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich, and Tom Brady. He will get to see up close and personal what it's like for him. And you know what? Josh Rosen, in a way, is following the Jameis Winston plan. Jameis Winston went to New Orleans to learn from Sean Payton and Drew Brees and see what it takes to be a great quarterback in this league. So Jameis Winston leaves Tampa to go to New Orleans to learn from Payton and Brees. And Josh Rosen leaves Miami to go to Tampa, where Winston was, to learn from Arians, Leftwich, and Brady. Wise move on his part. Across the state in Florida, have you ever heard of the quarterback by the name of Jake Luton? He's now the Jaguars' backup quarterback because Jacksonville cut Mike Lennon, who it brought back to its practice squad, much like Josh McCown, and it also cut Josh Dobbs, who wound up being claimed on waivers by the Steelers. Jake Luton, former sixth-round pick, now will be Gardner Minshew's backup in Jacksonville. I can tell you this, the Jaguars like Jake Luton going into the season. Didn't want to put him on waivers 
and risk the chance that somebody would claim him so the Jaguars make him the backup quarterback in Jacksonville. And of course, the big quarterback news of the weekend was Deshaun Watson coming up with a massive new extension in Houston. And that will mean on Thursday night when the Texans and Chiefs step on the field to kick off the NFL season, there will be two quarterbacks on there, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, who have a combined $633 million worth of contracts. We've never seen two players with $633 million in contracts square off the way that Mahomes and Watson will in Thursday night's regular season opener, but they are two of the biggest and best young stars, not just in football, but in all of sports. Two men worthy of every penny that they make. Two examples for the youth of today, and $633 million worth of contracts will be on that field Thursday night at Arrowhead Stadium when we get started with this NFL season. All right, before we get to today's episode, I want to tell everyone to go check out the new three-part series from ESPN Investigatives called Bloodlines. Bloodlines examines how horse racing's current existential crisis exists. How did horse racing go from America's most popular sport to a game driven by returns on investment? How have decades of breeding for races changed the horses themselves? And what might 49 dead horses in one year at one track mean? for the future of horse racing. Download and subscribe to ESPN Investigates and listen to Bloodlines as well as the Adam Schefter podcast wherever you find your podcast. And now, play-by-play man Steve Levy and analysts Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick. Oh, it's great in the week of the NFL season to have the full Monday night booth together. And I believe this is the first time publicly that we'll hear your voices together. I want to thank the play-by-play announcer, Steve Levy, the two analysts, Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick, for joining me today. And I want to say this at the outset. This booth personally means a lot to me. Steve Levy and I went to high school together, went into our high school wall of fame, hall of fame, whatever it is, Steve, together. Brian went to the University of Michigan. I covered him as a quarterback in Denver. And I can say there are very few people in my life that I've seen grow more and do more and take on a more philanthropic role than the great Brian Greasy. And at ESPN during my time, there's probably nobody outside Mort that I've spent more on-air time with than Lewis Riddick. And so all those three people are now joined in one booth. And so it means a lot to me, and I'm sure it means a lot to you. So we will start with Lewis. And I want to play something, Lewis, here, right at the outset mm-hmm. to show what Monday Night Football means to you. The last time you were on this very podcast, I said, what would it mean to you if you could be doing Monday Night Football, and here was your response. The biggest thing you could possibly do, I believe, is to call a live game and call it at the very highest level, which is, for us, Monday Night Football, which is, for every analyst, cover cover the Super Bowl at some point in time. Look, calling live games, that, that's the closest that I've come to my post-playing career of having that same feeling that I had when I stepped onto the field January 1st, 1995, we're playing the New England Patriots, and I'm starting in a wild-card playoff game. That's the closest I, I've come, calling a live game, to having that same feeling of when I was playing. So, Lewis, now that you have the role, what does it mean to you? Well, I, I think it's, um, as far as this profession is concerned, and my time being on TV, Without a doubt, it's it's the pinnacle for me personally as far as achieving 
this kind of goal and, be, and being a part of this team. Uh, the Monday night brand is iconic. It's something that we all grew up watching. I mean, we've all have our own stories about what it was like at nine o'clock on Monday nights in the early seventies or wherever, whenever you grew up turning on the TV and seeing Howard Cosell and Frank Gifford and Don Meredith. And I remember watching a young Tony Dorsett with the Dallas Cowboys. I and mean, he's what made me fall in love with Monday night football. Um, asked, begging my dad to stay up until just halftime. And I never would make it because I was just a youngster and had to get ready to go to school the next day. But to get to this point, is a dream come true. It's, it took a lot of hard work. And I, I think quickly my mind has already shifted towards not just being here, just being here isn't good enough, being good at it, being respected at it, I think is the goal for all of us now to make sure people respect the fact that we put in the work to get here and now, you know, we're going to deliver. And that's where my mind is at. I mean, knee deep in the preparation at this point for the for opening weekend between the Broncos and the Titans. And look, I, I'm, I'm just ready to get going. I, I cannot wait uh, because it's a heck of an opportunity and, and, and one that I think all of us take very seriously and with a lot of responsibility and pride. Brian, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can echo a lot of what uh, Lewis said there. I, I think the thing that I would add um, is it's impossible for, for me to, uh, to think about uh, this season and the opportunity to be on Monday Night Football without thinking about um, how much more uh, is on the line this year, just because of uh, what's happening uh, across our country and the importance of sports and the return of the NFL and, and the entertainment value that uh, our country needs at this time and how important sports is in that healing process um, and how important Monday Night Football will be during that process. It's the only game on. Everybody's watching. That's what's always made it so special. Not only the fans are watching, but other players from around the league. We all watched it uh, on Monday night uh, when we got done playing on Sundays. And um, so I'm looking forward to, um, yes, calling the games and yes, performing and delivering and all that. But more than anything, I think um, we're looking forward to having some fun and, uh, and football uh, there's not a more fun sport out there, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm just looking forward to spending the time with these two guys, uh, calling great games and, and having some fun. Steve? Yeah, speaking of those great games, I mean, the schedule is, is off the charts. Uh, you know, I've heard executives at our place say that it's the best Monday night football schedule in, in probably over a decade. So uh, we are set up uh, by the people we have that you will see on television uh, and behind the scenes, especially, I think we are set up for success. We have been put in a, a position to succeed uh, by a lot of smart people that work up at the very top of our place. So that's all, that's all well and good for me personally. It's definitely been a transition. You know, the, the dream job thing is so cliche and overused. I just, I can't come up with anything that better describes it. You know, people that know me know my love of hockey and everything, but the dream job always really, you could ask my buddies from fourth grade who I still talk to. It was always Monday night football to be there and the bright lights uh, and the iconic music, which you just cannot separate yourself from. And um, to finally be in, in that seat, uh, and I don't think it'll truly take uh, effect until week two for us. Uh, we were fortunate, the three of us, to have a cup of coffee together last year and do that opener. Uh, the Raiders, the Broncos, so we got a little taste of that, the nightcap of the Monday night game. Uh, so week two, when we have this age sort of to ourselves, we start at the, at the regular kickoff time at 8.15. Uh, 
uh, and we open up Las Vegas. Garth Brooks thought he was going to open the building, and instead it's going to be Monday Night Football and a great game with uh, Drew Brees and the Saints coming in. So I personally have transitioned from uh, all the, the the virtual backslaps, the virtual handshakes, the virtual hugs from all my friends and family and my parents and my sister have gotten a huge kick out of all the attention, and my kids are absolutely you know over the moon about it. So it's been great, and now – like the guy said, I, I am ready to let, let's, let's put the ball on the tee and let's go. You know, last year when we talked about you doing the Monday night game, the three of you, I petitioned you, Steve, to allow your children to stay up late enough to watch yes. you do Monday night football. So are they going to be allowed yes. to stay up late this year to watch dad do the play-by-play for Monday night football? So, I, you know what, the funny thing about that, Shefty, is so I did take your advice. Remember, I wasn't going to do it. I really did. I had my folks come, and uh, my kids are pretty young, and they went to bed, and they woke them up. Again, late kickoff. That's, you know, 10-10, 10-15 in the east, and they woke them up for the open. I've got great video. I've got great pictures of that. And, um, that you know, what? that's kind of the only downside to the gig. When I, when I told my kids about the job, like my daughter was – uncontrollably crying of tears of joy and hugging me. Wow. One of my boys said, Hey, congratulations, dad. And then the other son, my other twin boy said, wait, so we can't watch Monday night football together. And I was like, well, no, but we can watch Thursday night football now together. So we'll figure out a way again. They're still, you know, eight and 10. It's really young. Uh, even with, I used to let them watch the first quarter. And, uh, you know, maybe they'll be able to stick around for the first half. Adam, Adam, yeah. we, all have, we all have Harper Levy to thank. Harper Levy is the reason that we're in this position. Right? <laughs> she, uh, it's a great story. Thank you, Bri. She, um, the last night of summer camp, she's a 10-year-old girl, right? And, you know, they're not usually thinking about other people. And really, four months pr- – I'll make this as quick as I can. Four months prior, there was an article in the paper saying, hey, you know, I might have a chance at this job. I was up for it. I was in contention, whatever it was. And we had – this is, you know, this is back in March. And we had not spoken word one about it with any of my children. And I pick up my three kids on the uh, – from, from sleepaway camp, the only sleepaway camp in America that was actually open this summer. I pick them up, and, uh, and 10 minutes into the car ride, my daughter bubbling about camp says, Dad, did you get the job? And I'm like, well, no, you know, still working on it, still hopeful. And then she says to me, because of the campfire on the final night of camp, all the kids had to write a wish on a piece of paper, crumple it up, and throw it into the summer campfire, marking the end of the summer. And she said, "Daddy, I wished for you to get Monday Night Football." So it was, it was, it was heavy. It was emotional, and I almost lost it. And, and now here we are. So I keep telling her, you know, you keep wishing, kid, and then some of your wishes and dreams can come true, just like mine. Are. So that's pretty cool, Lewis. What was your reaction? When you got the news that you were doing Monday Night Football, yeah, it's I mean it, it's it's super emotional. My 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 immediate thoughts immediately went to my father who passed away in 2005, and it, it just became overwhelmingly emotional. You know, even while I was on the phone talking to people about it, because he would literally I mean I, I can't really repeat what he would say right now, but it, it would be pretty damn cool. And that that's what I thought about, you know, and. Because, I mean, Monday Night Football for me was just, I mean, that's what it was. It was sitting there in his lap or right next to him and just, you know, and just watching players and just sitting there with my jaw hanging open and my eyes as wide as saucers watching the game. So that, that's, that's all, all those memories came rushing back. And it just, you know, it, it was just, uh, it, it was overwhelming. I mean, my, I'm, I'm happy for for my mother and my sisters and and my wife and my and my children because, you know, it's, you know, the great, late, great Kobe Bryant said, you know, when, when you try to achieve anything, you know, that 
people would consider great and, and landmark and significant. There's always sacrifices that not only you make, but the people who are around you make even more sacrifices because it's hard doing things that are special. And my, my entire career, and I'm sure Brian and Steve can, can say the same things in, in different ways in their own different stories. I mean, my, my family has supported me and made sacrifices as far as not spending time with me or allowing me to, whether it be train or study or prep or travel or whatever, moving them around the country to chase my professional dream, whether it was as a player or as a broadcaster. And then, so I'm just happy for them to, to see them be, I was happy for them to see them be so excited about it too. But I think like, uh, like most parents, you know, when they're dealing with their kids, the conversation quickly shifted to, yeah, okay, that's cool, dad. Now, what about, uh, you know, my son's like, well, what about these things? What about these NBA 2K? Are you going to play me today? Or my daughter's <laughs> like, well, I need new clothing for college this year, and I need new this, and I need new that. And, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, it's funny how, the, yeah, I know. I'm still dad, and that's all that really matters. So it, it was cool, though. It was real cool. Brian, what was your moment when you found out, like, was there something that stood out about it? Because, obviously, it's such a significant milestone in anyone's career. Yeah, Chef, you know, the whole world knew about it before Greasy did. Oh, he was in the mountains, right? He couldn't be found. Am I correct? Yeah, so Adam, you remember from your time in Denver, the, the famous Long's Peak, right, up near Estes yeah. Park. So I decided to go with a couple of buddies and climb Long's Peak that Friday uh, when uh, this news came out. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a long hike. It's a 12-hour hike. No way I would uh, have Levy join me on that kind of a hike because uh, he wouldn't make it halfway. Uh, but we got up to the top of the mountain at 7 a.m. And uh, I took out my phone to take a picture from the summit, 14,000 feet. And uh, on my phone was one text message from, from Lee Fitting uh, at ESPN. And it said, hey, call me ASAP. Well, there was no reception at the top of the mountain. And it, it, there was no, hey, you got the job or you didn't get the job. And I was literally five hours away from any kind of reception. So um, needless to say, when I got down to the bottom of Long's Peak, uh, everybody else, as Levy said, in the world knew except for me. But it was actually a, a really um, – a really cool experience. Uh, and so I allowed myself without having everybody call or text, even my wife couldn't get a hold of me. Uh, but for me to walk down and climb down that mountain with, with that kind of energy and anticipation, um, and it wasn't lost on me that 11 years I've been calling games for ESPN. And yeah, it's, this is something that we all wanted. And it is a summit. Uh, and I just come from the summit of a mountain. So it wasn't lost on me, the, the uh, comparison. And uh, it was a really for me personally, the perfect way to find out. So when you get that text and you can't call for 12 hours, what's going through your mind during that time? Are you thinking, I got the job, I didn't get the job, I'm fired, I'm hired? Like what's going through your mind on your, while you're on that hike? <laughs> well, it, it's a 12 hour round trip hike, okay? So five up, or seven up, five down. Uh, so I had about four hours uh, before I got to reception. and. Honestly, um, you know, we live in such a world where we're checking our phone constantly and people are texting and calling, and there was none of that. I couldn't do that. I had no reception. And so for me, it was, I was with two buddies, and it was really, it was really um, cathartic to put one foot in front of the other and to think about um, the moment and to think about the opportunity and to think about everything that's gone into my career as a broadcaster and to be in this position 
and really what I felt was gratitude and, and thanks for everything that um, I've been given uh, and worked for my career, my life, my family and health. Uh, and with everything going on in, in the world, um, I was just thankful. And um, I really, those four hours probably were uh, the most important four hours in this seven month kind of wait to find out who's going to do the, the, the job. Um, and for me, it kind of put me in the right mindset to do, to do the work. You know, it's interesting. I got a message that Friday morning. And when I found out that you guys got the jobs, I'm like, am I allowed to text them? They said, well, you can text Steve. You can text Lewis. Don't text Brian because he doesn't know yet. And I said, well, okay. <laughs> so I, I, I waited. But as you're telling me the story, Brian, and I'm thinking about it, I loved that hike. And I love Colorado. And I love all those mountains. And I can think of nothing that would be more enjoyable than a 12-hour hike. However, now that you say that, and I'm thinking – okay, you would not have any cell phone reception for 12 hours. The idea of that gives me the shakes. And I don't think that I could do it at this stage. Like, just when you're telling me the story, I'm shaking, hearing about not having cell phone reception for 12 hours. And the idea of that is unbelievable. So now that you guys have it, it's, it's an unusual, unique booth in the sense that it's rare that we get a three-man booth with offensive and defensive mentalities I would imagine that Lewis and Brian would like to play off each other and will be able to play off each other in a way that few booths have ever been able to do. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it happened like it happened organically in the first game that we did last year. And it was something that we talked about. It wasn't something that we wanted to necessarily, you know, like lock ourselves into. Like Brian's just going to talk about quarterback play and route development and pass protection. And I'll just talk about blitz schemes and coverages and how safety's playing off. But you naturally, I mean, that's obviously your wheelhouse and something you've done your whole life. But we, we were able to like seamlessly go back and forth and point counterpoint. And it was it just kind of happened so organically that I think that that's obviously what what made it made that broadcast that night good and something that we're hoping to, you know, to continue to do. And it it, it is unique. It, it really is, because. My my point of view has always been this, you know, although, you know, quarterbacks have always gotten a lot of the attention as far as analysts are concerned and everyone thinks that you, well, you have to have a quarterback in order to have a good analyst and all. Well, you know, my perspective has always been, well, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, safety play was pretty much quarterback play on the defensive side of the ball. And we had to see the whole field as well and know what everyone else was doing too, because we were the last line of defense. And I think it just, it just creates a natural synergy between the two of us and, I think what people will see is when the game starts, it's going to be, it, it just, it won't, it won't ever feel pre-scripted. Like, okay, Brian, you go talk offense, I'll talk defense, Steve, call the play. It won't be like that. It will be very natural. And I, I think we, again, we showed that last year and I think we'll show a heck of a lot more of it this year. Yeah, Adam, I think it's, it's, um, you know, the most important thing is to remember that this is still entertainment and it's, and I think the chemistry is, is so important. <laughs> Um, and the goal at the end of the day is not for Lewis or I to show up every week and, and show how much football we know. Um, that's not the goal. The goal is for people to be engaged, the viewer at home to be engaged in the game. And yes, to learn and to understand what's happening in real time and why a game is being won or lost and the decisions that are going into that on a play-by-play -play basis. But it can't be an XO clinic uh, every week, right? It has to be uh, entertainment. And, and I think the right mix of that is what we'll work towards. Um, and so that people are enjoying watching the game um, as it unfolds. Now, Monday night also comes the big platform. And 
you all have, I think, certain causes that are important to you. Brian, you started Judy's House in Denver. You've helped, if my math is correct, about 11,000 kids. Do you think yeah. that being on Monday Night Football will help elevate the profile of Judy's House at all? And, and what can you doing this job do to help Judy's House? You know, thanks for asking, Adam. I, I, the answer is I don't know. Um, I, I'm, I've not really thought too much about that. Um, all I've really thought about is is doing the best job I can in in the role, um, and and everything else will take care of itself. And I, I I approached it that way when we started Judy's House in 2002, and I was you know a fourth year player for the Broncos. Um, and so I, I view th- the balance of having two jobs. I mean, I have this this new job of being an analyst on Monday Night Football, uh, but I also have a job leading. Uh, an organization that that is helping grieving children all over the country and and the balance for me is important i like my life can't just be about football um it has to be about giving back and helping in this way and i think uh, i'm not sure adam how those two potentially can meld together i'm excited about the potential and the opportunity but um the the thing i can do and all three of us can do is focus on the job at hand calling monday night football games and do the best we possibly can and i think everything will take care of itself Lou, does it do anything for you for a platform for racial injustice, social injustice, anything like that? Well, well, sure. I, I think, look, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the job is what the job requires, which is for us to talk about the game and do the best possible job we can talking about the game itself. But I think there's, there's no doubt that I think we've seen over the past a uh, couple of months that ESPN has been very active and very willing to embrace conversation and embrace education surrounding exactly what it is that is going on in this country. From a social justice perspective, it's real, it's traumatic, it is something that affects sports, it's something that affects all of our lives, whether you're black or white, and you you can't really get away from it. So I'm not, I would never try to run from it. I can't run from it anyway, because I am one of the people who has experienced uh, different forms of being treated unequal or unfairly at different points in my life. And I think it's something that, you know, having the platform that I have now, I think, I think mostly Adam, I think it really, it, it inspires people my age and younger and even people who are older than me that are African American or that, that, that are minorities to never give up hope that you can achieve something significant in your life and do good in your life for yourself, for your family, for your loved ones. And I I take that very seriously. I think it's something that we need more of as a African-American community for people to really continue to push forward and strive and set a great example and be beacons of hope for others. And when you can, and when it's when it's the right time for you, and it's and it's a good thing for you to give back and, and be active and be out in the community and to try and help pull someone else up and pull someone along, there's no question about that. And what what bigger stage than to kind of try and set that example than being on Monday Night Football and doing a spectacular job so people are proud and people feel as though you know they can achieve too to whatever degree it is that they aspire to achieve to. So Lou gets to be a role model. He uses that platform for that. And Brian gets to, in the certain instance, use it for Judy's house to promote Judy's house in Denver, which is an unbelievable place that helps kids who are bereaved. 
And for Steve, I would imagine it gives him the ultimate pickup line for dating, right? Like if you are the play-by-play <laughs> voice for Monday Night Football, don't you think that you would be able to date just about any woman you want, Steve? Uh, I am in the process of changing my business card as we speak. Uh, <laughs> see if that will help in that department. Um, no, listen, I, you know, I want to be on the right side of history, too. And in all seriousness, um, there are going to be opportunities here. I think the NFL and ESPN have really been hand-in-hand uh, hand here in trying to get things right and get things turned around the way they need to be. And football, as much as we all love it, is uh, is sports. And that's kind of, you know, that's, you know, if we remember what a newspaper was, that's the back page. And so we all recognize what's going on on the front page of the world, certainly in our country. And there will be opportunities, I think, in the broadcast. And it might be once or twice a quarter to, to make a strong point, to make an, have an opinion, uh, and to tie that into the football on the field and the feelings of the players and getting the players' message across the coaches, general managers, hopefully ownership as well, um, and getting those messages out there and, and sort of uh, combined with our own personal messages. The interesting part will be to manage that, right? Because I think there's a part of the population that probably wants to just be entertained, right? Yeah. Wants yeah. to just be entertained for those three hours on Monday night and get away from everything else that is going on. But there's probably a greater majority that, that wants to know what certainly what Lewis has to say on the topic and, 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 and Brian and I will not be able to remain silent because being silent is, is the worst thing we can do. So there's a fine line there. We will, we will manage that throughout the course of the season. And in broadcasting, I've always been taught it is uh, inform and entertain or entertain and inform. And uh, I think we're looking, uh, looking forward to all that this coming season. You also will be taking your Monday night football maiden voyage here in the age of a pandemic. So what will it be like in the booth? Are they making you, as per Disney policy, stay six feet away from each other? Can that be done in booths on the road? I'm sure some places, yes, some places, maybe no. What will that be like working in the booth together, the three of you having to socially distance, I would assume? Well, that's a great question. And I'm not sure anybody knows what that's going to look like right away. Um, and listen, there are going to be a lot of excuses out there, Shefty, that we, that we could put out there. But I think the audience at home doesn't care, really, as long as they get a good product on Monday night. But in terms of what it will actually look like on television, yes, we are going to be, we are going to be six feet apart. And I'm used to, you know, you standing know, inches in grease and eight feet for all of his boards <laughs> and papers and hot coffee and tuna sandwich. And I like to hit greasy in the arm once in a while. Like that means you shut up and it's my turn to talk. You know, I got to turn his microphone off, uh, but we won't be that close. And there will be some distance. There will be some hand gesturing, uh, kind of like going silent at the line of scrimmage, you know? So uh, we'll have to do some of that. And uh, communication will be a key. And uh, hopefully we won't step on each other. And let's not forget Lisa Salters is down uh, and not on the field, from my understanding. The NFL is restricting sideline reporters this year, so she'll be elsewhere in the stadium, not on the field. Uh, John Parry, our, our excellent rules expert, uh, I think he'll be at his uh, luxurious compound, wherever he might be. Uh, but so, so we'll be, you know, separated by six feet and then some, and the goal is uh, the fan at home won't notice a difference. Uh, I think we're all sitting together on a couch uh, in their living room or in a bar someplace. That's the goal. I mean, that, that is an adjustment, right? Because we're used to watching, say, Sunday Night Football, where at the beginning of the show, you got Al Michaels on and Chris Collins slides in. 
You're not sliding yep. in this year. No one's sliding in this year, right? We could go an entire season. You think about this and how crazy this season will be as, as a broadcaster. And this goes for everybody broadcasting games this year. But you're going to go an entire season and never have a face-to-face interaction with a player or coach. It's all going to be over Zoom. And, and to think about calling, you know, 18 or so games in an NFL season and not having that interaction uh, is, is just crazy to me. That, that, that's, the, that's the cool thing about it, right? I mean, it's, it, it's going to be so unorthodox in many ways because it has to be. I mean, we, we, know, I mean, we know why. I mean, people have to stay safe. This is a serious issue from a public health perspective. But I mean, I, I, what a great opportunity. I mean, what a great opportunity to really kind of put on display not without making it about you, the broadcaster, because it's never about you, the broadcaster. It's about the game. It's about the players, and the players are going to ultimately drive – you know, what people feel about professional football and they're, and they're fantastic. I mean, these guys are, they're going to be ultimate pros, but for us, what a great opportunity to be a part of this in a year where there's so many eyes and there's so many people watching, there's going to be so many varying opinions and there are going to be things that are tremendous challenges, but what a great opportunity to accept and step up to the challenge of doing something in an environment that I am sure there are many people who would go, yeah, that's a great opportunity, but I don't know if I'd want to, if I'd want that challenge. I want that challenge. I, I, I'm, I'm fired up about it. Maybe, maybe I'm being naive, but I, I really don't care. I mean, I, I am just fired up about the fact that we are living in very unique times and unique people need to step up and deliver unique performances across every spectrum of our society right now. That's what, that's what's being asked of everyone. And it's going to be asked of us. We, we, we know we're going to be, you know, scrutinized because people aren't, don't have anything else to, well, not, not that I, I shouldn't say they don't have anything else to do, but they're going to have so much invested in wanting to sit down, as Brian and Stephen both alluded to, sit down and watch Monday Night Football because we know how people feel about, that game, feel about this game in this country. And on Monday Night when there's nothing else on and there's one thing, one single thing on and one football game, what a great opportunity. Jeffy, my big, my big concern is in, in terms of a different season of broadcasting is I'm going to be talking too loud, right? In my head, again, we don't know what it's going to sound like at the head center on television, but I'm going to scream touchdown and there's not going to be a crowd in the stadium and I can see the players all looking up at the press box saying, hey, you tell Levy to turn it down. He's, you know, distracting us. You know, that's, that's sort of my concern. Touchdown, you know, in an empty stadium and the echo and so – We'll see how that plays out. I mean, that could happen. You talk about the differences. I, in the rare occasion that I've gotten to do sidelines for NFL games, one of the great things was the access to the coaches and players and the meetings that take place before and the up-close personal interaction. And as you guys talked about, that is not going to happen this year. You're not going to see a coach or a player up close and personal. It's going to be done on Zoom calls. And so that's going to be an adjustment as you guys are adjusting to your new role and your three-man booth together in a year where there are so many adjustments of the empty stadium and distance in the booth. And people, again, have to understand how many differences there will be this year compared to any other year. I hadn't even really thought about it until we started talking about it like that. It's just fascinating to think about like that. So you, so you think Twitter's going to give us a grace period, five or six years of grace period? You think they'll be kind, Shefty? I do, yeah. No, I think you guys are going to be very well received. And I, I, may, I may fire off the first tweet to say, hey, 
these guys are facing enormous challenges. Let's let's cut them some slack. Let's cut them some slack. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, slack. Let's get get that going. I started this podcast by talking about my ties to your past with each of you. And so I want to go back there for a second, and I'll start with Steve, and I'll say, Steve, if I had told you back in the days of Belmore John F. Kennedy High School that you would be calling Monday Night Football the play-by-play announcer for that great institution, what would you have thought if I had told you back in the day? Yeah, I would have thought uh, there's, there's no chance and that, uh, that Al Michaels would, would never give up that seat, and, and why would he? Um, so that's the amazing thing about it. And, th- and that's why really, Shefty, it was such an impossibility. And I'm only speaking for myself now, not the Lewis or Brian. Uh, there's one chair, right? There's one seat. Um, you know, people like to throw out, hey, you know, Levy's a hockey guy. Well, when I got to ESPN, you know, we were doing ESPN as a network and ESPN two, we were doing, I don't know, four or five games a week. And in the playoffs, we might be doing three games a night. So, of course, I was doing hockey every other, every other night. There's only one NFL game and only one NFL play-by-play seat. I mean, so you think about the percentages in that, and that, that would have made it an impossibility. And, uh, and that's why I was so pleased, and, and college made a lot of sense, college football. We do a ton of games, right? There's a ton of play-by-play seats. And, uh, and still so important, and, and, and seats that everybody in the industry wants, uh, in college football, but we have, you know, what, 12 to 15 games a weekend. So there were many more opportunities. And again, the opportunity for Monday night was, was one seat. And I would have said, uh, you know, that's a nice thought, Sheffy. That's fantasy land. But uh, no, that wasn't going to be able to happen for me. I was really at that point, I was thinking, you know, maybe I get the Jets radio job at some point. But Bob Wachusen has that locked up. So no chance of that either. And Brian, you came into Denver in 1998 after Michigan. I was at Michigan before you. But I remember your rookie year, and I remember coming over to you in the Broncos locker room, and I remember speaking to you back then. What would you have said back then if I had told you, oh, get ready for 22 years from now when you are the analyst for Monday Night Football? <laughs> well, I can turn that around on you, Adam. I mean, you covered me the first couple of years in, in Denver, and I wasn't, I wasn't the easiest uh, quarterback no. to cover. No. Did you think that I would be in the media, first of all, and then be in this position? <laughs> That's a great point. I would have said, no way. <laughs> that guy in the booth no, doesn't have the social skills to do that. <laughs> doesn't have the grace and, 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 and uh, tact to do that. And that's what okay, I said. Okay, stop, stop right there, Adam. We don't need to go into this. <laughs> but that's why I said That's why I said yeah. at the beginning, there's nobody. I've, and I really mean this. There are very few people I've seen grow the way, like, you were not a likable guy back then. You weren't. And 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 not good, not good looking either. So he's got that too, right? Yeah, but, but but he is but he is so likable now, and he is so gracious. And I even said this to Mike Shanahan last week. We were talking, and he spoke about you. You were recently at his house, right? Yep. Yeah, and he sp- he spoke about you in a reverential way, saying what an incredible human being you are. And I I, I could say that and. I don't mean that in an over-the-top way, because back then in 1998, you were a jerk. You were, and yeah. you could you couldn't well, be I any, think, you couldn't be any nicer and more gracious now. Still, still not I, good I looking. Think, I think. <laughs> so I think Adam, I think it goes to um, the the amount of pressure 
that that I was under following John Elway and 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 dealing with everything I was dealing with in my life uh, and finding this outlet from a philanthropic standpoint helped me immensely with that. Um, but it it it's the experiences that we all have. You know, Lewis has played, I played. I know what it feels like to be a Sam Darnold, right, in New York, and all the pressure that that's happening to him or to any of these players, uh, and and how it can impact how they interact, their personalities, their entire life. And for me, it was no different. Um, and I had to find balance. And so I'm looking forward to, to bringing a little bit of that to the broadcast, you know, the emotion of the game. And especially this year, there'll be more emotion than ever. But what does it feel like to have that much pressure on you? And how does that play out during the course of the game, during the course of the season, and in an individual's life? And uh, I'm a perfect example of that. And so if you would have told me that I would be in this position back then, uh, I never would have believed you. And, Lewis, when you got to ESPN, I met you way back when through our mutual friend, Paul Sheehy. But if you had walked mm-hmm. in the door, how long have you been at ESPN now? Ten years? No, actually, 2000, the, the season of 2000, 2013 was my first season there. So okay. this will be the, what, the eighth season? Okay. Yeah. So, Rookie. So, so when you walked in in exactly. 2013, <laughs> when you walked in in 2013 and we did, whether it was NFL Live or, or – uh, <laughs> insiders later on if i had said to you you're gonna leave me in the dust here and you're gonna become the analyst for Monday Night football what would have been your reaction to that well first i would say no one's leaving you in the dust anyway <laughs> because everyone knows that you're setting the pace in your profession yeah, well, as far as what you that. would do so i'd be like whatever yeah. but that that's that's number one but i, I you know honest to god I, I think what i would say what i would have said to you is this after the very first show that I did, if you remember, Adam, my very first show of doing NFL Insiders, I did with you. And it was with Sal Palantonio. And we were all there together. I believe you were on that. It was, we were on together very, very early. Yep. And I remember going back to my hotel over here in, in Farmington. And I remember thinking, I think I, 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 think I, can, I can do this. And, I, and, and right away, I, I set very lofty goals for myself. Now, I'm sure there were people at ESPN who were thinking, well, hey, you know what? You know, he'll have a decent career here. You know, he'll be on NFL Live, be on SportsCenter. Who knows? Maybe he'll be on, you know, Countdown at some point in time. But for, for myself, I quickly wanted to be on the biggest shows, on the biggest stage, doing the most important broadcast. And I always had that in the back of my mind. Now, obviously, when you start off, like I did here, and you're making – $800 a show with no contract and no guarantee of shows, most people would be like, Hey, you know what? You might just want to shoot for being on like the, in the A's of the eight o'clock sports center. Let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves as far as Monday night football is concerned. But I probably would have said, yeah, I, I, I can shoot for that. But it, it was, it was far off in the distance, man. It really was. But I think every, every day that I've been here and every time that I went on, and every time that I drove up here at first to Bristol and then started flying up here, I always knew this. I'm going to put in the work and we'll see where it leads. I'm going to put in the work and we'll see where it leads. I'm going to put in the work and we'll see where it ultimately leads. And it's led to here. And that's why when, we, when you asked me what was important to me about being on this stage, I think it's inspiration. It's inspiration that no matter where you start, put in the work because you don't know where it'll lead as long as you get the right kind of sponsorship and the right kind of people advocating for you. You don't know where it will lead. But if you don't do the work, I can guarantee you where it'll lead. 
it'll lead to underperformance and probably disappointment. So that, that's been my approach, and that's going to be my approach when we kick it off September 14th. I'm going to put in the work, and we're going to see where it's going to lead. Well, I want to thank you guys. I'm, I'm, I am proud of all of you guys in your own ways. I uh, am happy for this booth. I love this booth. I think you guys are going to crush it this year. It's a great group of men with a lot of different perspectives, and we are fired up to listen to you Monday night for the Monday night football opener, the Tennessee Titans at the Denver Broncos, and all the ensuing games of the Monday night schedule. Look forward to listening to you guys, and I want to thank you very much for the time today. Thanks, bud. We'll be in touch. And next Stay time well. we go on that hike, Brian, next time I want, I want to go on one of those hikes in Colorado <laughs> if I can ever get back there again. Uh, yeah, I, it, it, it's called exposure therapy, Adam. We'll just, you know, leave your phone at home, and you'll after you stop shaking in two hours in, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, take care. Thanks so much. Thanks, Adam. And so we wish luck to Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick. Not that they will need it, because I think that they will be excellent in the booth starting Monday night, but we are rooting for them as they are poised to have an excellent NFL season. All right, before we get to fantasy expert Field Yates, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. And now our next guest. Joining us now, my friend, my colleague, the fantasy football expert, for ESPN and a reminder you can sign up and join your friends your league at espnfantasyfootball.com field yates is there any other introduction to the fancy football at espn that people should know about before we get into a preview of this upcoming season well adam you know the one thing that i like to encourage people to remember about fantasy football is that well yes it is a game of fake football where we are projecting what i've really grown to love about fantasy football is the community side of it. That's what I want to, want to impress upon people is that, you know, I play in a league with my best friends from college. I play in a league with high school friends. I play in a league with my wife and 10 other couples. I play in a league, obviously, with you at ESPN and all of our great NFL colleagues. And what's really fun and gratifying for me is the opportunity to stay in touch with people that, you know, is not always easy to do. And that's only compounded this year because, you know, I've hardly seen my family over the past six months. I really haven't seen many of my close friends. So fantasy football doesn't sort of solve all the issues of proximity, but it at least makes me feel like I'm growing closer to a group of people that I care about in a lot of different circles. And for the record, we're taping this podcast on Labor Day weekend. Our War Room Draft in the ESPN League, a 16-team league, kicks off at 8.30 Eastern on Wednesday night, the night before the season begins. And I got to tell you something. I am fired up about it, Field. I, I'm going to tweet this this week, but 
I was going back and forth with my friend Jim Kramer on CNBC this past week. He had his draft, and I had a draft, my first draft in a 12-team league with some friends. And he basically sent me a line that it, it made a mark on me. He wrote, he texted me, he said, I am shaking. My next four months are going to be determined by the last 90 minutes. This was right after his draft. And I thought, that's exactly right. Because I got done with my first draft, and there's so much adrenaline and so much emotion. It's, it's really an emotional experience if you care about it. And I thought that was pretty well summed up. 90 minutes that help dictate your next four months, right? I mean, that's a fair way of describing it. And I got to tell you something. Wednesday night for the War Room draft, that to me is the main event. That's the, yeah, it is. That's the draft you really want to yeah, I play in so many leagues too, Adam. I think I'm going to end up, and I'm still sort of finalizing a couple of leagues as you and I are speaking, but I think I'm going to end up in close to a dozen leagues this year. Wow. And I know. it's and Too you, many, you know, right? You, you know Chapin and I already, so you, you, know, you can insert your own joke here about I have, how I have no life, and I'm ready for it. Um, but, you know, we, when, uh, if I had to measure them all, if I, and I would love to win all 12, which isn't going to happen, but I'd love to. Uh, but the War Room League has a different energy about it because uh, it's all the people that we work with day to day. And I know how invested each person is in the War Room League. There's nobody that sort of just, just stumbles or gently walks through the season on the War Room League. And I happened to run into the great uh, Mike Camberary earlier on today, and he was sitting there telling me about how his weekend plans were War Room Draft League. Perfect. And he's not the only person that is doing exactly that in the days leading up to that draft on Wednesday night. I have my ESPN draft rankings board up. I look at it every day and adjust it for Wednesday night. There's been time that has gone into that set of rankings every single day for the last week. And so it's a big deal. And again, when you go through it, honestly, the adrenaline, at least for me, it's pumping, it's nerve wracking. You hear that ESPN music. I, it's one of my favorite nights of the year. And when you get done, as my friend Jim Kramer says, you are shaking, and those 90 minutes, two hours for us maybe with 16 teams, uh, will help dictate your joy and happiness for the next four months, which is hard to imagine, right? It's going to be a wild ride, as it always is, but this year especially. I, maybe I'm overestimating it, but I do feel like the stakes are even higher because we all need positivity in our life right now, and not that fantasy football is played only for the opportunity to win. You know, I just enjoy the experience in general, the trades, the transactions, being a part of a league with a group of people that I care about. But there's nothing better than a sort of holiday season win through fantasy football. So I'm certainly looking forward to the War Room League this year. And I have not yet won. I've been in the league. I think it's my fifth season in the War Room League. And I would love to take home a crown for the first time. That feels like uh, the kind of thing that can uh, build your, uh, your credentials quite a bit more within the ESPN fantasy group. Well, it would be great to win. Again, I have never won the league. I've had two years where I had two great regular season teams, and it just never happened. I'd love to win it this year. Everybody would always love to win that league. And you bring up the uncertainty, and I think we'll start here in the sense that I was saying to somebody this morning, every year in football, the preseason begins, and you have ideas of certain players, and inevitably – Players do certain things like, I don't know, Clyde Edwards, Allaire is not a secret anymore. But I will watch the preseason and certain guys will make plays and flashing like, oh, this guy's blowing it for me. I wanted this guy and the cat's out of the bag and his average draft position, his ADP rises instantly. And the preseason always spoils it. 
even then though, even after that happens, Field, week one comes and it's like, whoa, what just happened? Because there are guys that emerge that you weren't expecting. There are guys that disappoint. And it's just always so much to process week one. Well, I think now this may be the most unpredictable week in fantasy football history. History, because we have no offseason, no preseason, no nothing. You have ideas. We have ideas. Everyone has ideas about how certain things are going to go. And nothing or very little is going to go according to form. It's going to be craziness. Am I correct? What multiplies that too, Adam, is that you're absolutely right that we don't have any idea with things such as, you know, rookies that may have moved up the depth chart. I mean, I've got a couple of players that anecdotally, I believe, have upped their value during the preseason. We can go through those if you'd like. And a couple that I'm more worried about based off what I've honestly just learned from following reporters that cover that team on Twitter. But you multiply that by this reality. I don't know that it was the busiest offseason in terms of transactions, but I don't remember an offseason that had quite the movement of major players as we had this year. So it's not just the idea of sizing up, you know, the Rams second round running back Cam Akers and how he might look. It's Tom Brady, Cam Newton, Phillip Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Jameis Winston's a backup, but, you know, players that are known commodities in the world of fantasy football who are now on new teams. Uh, We recently got charged with the task of having our week one rankings put in and they will be in by the time this podcast is produced. I went early on Friday morning. I said, I'm going to carve out an hour of quiet time to try to figure out where to start. And hundred percent full disclosure. I started. And about five minutes after that, I said, I'm just not ready. I don't know. There's too much uncertainty right now. I'm not sure how that process will get finalized, but this is the year of the unexpected. It's the year of the unprecedented. And in fantasy football, it's going to be exactly that again. There is so much that is unknown. And you bring in quarterbacks and how they affect guys. Is Mike Evans going to emerge? Is Chris Godwin going to emerge? Is OJ Howard going to emerge? Is Rob Gronkowski going to emerge with Tom Brady? Is Scotty Miller going to emerge? How does the backfield shake out? When the Washington football team released Adrian Peterson on Friday morning, my first thought was, okay, well, who's coming out of that backfield right now? And in my 12-team league, which I drafted last week, I went to the waiver wire right away and saw that Bryce Love was available. Now, I cut a guy on my team, a wide receiver, a good wide receiver that I liked, and used, a, I think, a 10th-round draft pick on but I thought the upside on Bryce Love is such, I don't know what we're going to get from Bryce Love. I don't know what we're getting from the Washington backfield, right? What's going to happen there? Yeah, and you know who else doesn't know, Adam? If I had to guess, Scott Turner, their offensive coordinator. Because you mentioned Bryce Love, a player who's coming off of, you know, during his last college season, a major knee injury that landed him, uh, you know, unable to play last season. And think about who else they have in the backfield that people are, myself included, now gushing over a little bit. Antonio Gibson who had 33 college carries, 33. So this is not even a player who played a running back during his college career, and we're now expecting something out of him. Now, that isn't to say that he or Bryce Love or somebody else from the backfield couldn't emerge. It just solidifies what we've been talking about with the uncertainty. So there are very few players that you feel completely and entirely comfortable with, which is why you know, I think the value in the first round remains 
that core group of great running backs. When I understand people are going to take Michael Thomas and maybe Devontae Adams or DeAndre Hopkins or Julio Jones in the first round, but I feel best if I can land one of my top four to seven running backs in that first round because the rest of my roster is going to shape up so much better than if I have to settle for a wide receiver in round one. To your point on Antonio Gibson, he had one 11-carry game and one other game with more than three carries. And so what does that mean? Now, I go back to my Denver Bronco beat reporting days, and it just uh, – these stories pop into your mind and memories flash before you. I remember the Broncos coaching staff telling me how great Chris Howard, a running back from Michigan, was going to be. They used a fifth-round pick on him, if my memory serves me correctly, and they said this guy is – running all over people during camp. Guy is tremendous. Can't wait to see him in the preseason. And they put him out there in the first preseason game in Nashville against the Titans. I distinctly remember, and he had two fumbles. Second preseason game, fumbles multiple times. Bottom line is a guy that impressed them so much in training camp, who looked so good, couldn't hold on to the football in the game when the lights came on. And so I don't know what's going to happen with Antonio Gibson. I've never watched Antonio Gibson run. I have no idea whether he's going to be Gale Sayers or whether he's going to be Chris Howard. No idea, right? There's no idea. And, and Adam, I, I can't even think back to players last year that at this time uh, were generating hype going into the season as rookies or second-year players or maybe even third-year players that did not meet the mark. And that's not to say that we should ignore preseason hype, but – just the idea that, you know, guesswork is a huge part of what we are doing. So um, I think that we need to accept coming out of the gates, your fantasy roster is not going to be the same one that, that you may have by, let's say, week four of the season. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm interested from a strategy standpoint this year, as I mentioned, prioritizing running backs early. Um, but absent landing, you know, one of the top five or six quarterbacks, uh, you know, Mahomes, Jackson, Murray, Prescott, Watson, Wilson, I'm really excited for the possibility to roll the dice a couple of times early on quarterbacks in this year's draft and then also potentially early on in the waiver wire, right? So you've got players that, you know, could be stars for the entire season. It's very possible that Tom Brady ends up as a top seven or eight fantasy option this year at quarterback. But if for some reason the Bucs don't come out of the gates red hot on offense, well, you're going to be able to find someone to replace Tom Brady with, whether it's a Daniel Jones of the New York Giants, whether it's the man who's going to replace Tom Brady in New England and Cam Newton, who could be very fantasy relevant this year. So from a strategy standpoint, I think it's really important to be dynamic at three spots in particular, quarterback, tight end, and defense. As I, I'm almost always willing to be dynamic at defense, pick them up, drop them, pick them up, drop them every week. It's almost a new equation for me in deep at defense in some leagues. So this is the year that uh, the waiver wire is probably more important than ever. And I don't have to explain that to you, Adam, is, Every year you lead the league in transactions, especially those made sometime between the hours of 4.30 and 6.30 a.m. during a random day of the week. <laughs> well, I lead the league in transactions, especially in NBA fantasy. That's where I really lead in transactions. No doubt about that. That is one of your great strengths. And there's the old John Wooden expression, which was uh, don't confuse activity with achievement. Sometimes in fantasy sports, and as much as I love John Wooden, one of, you know, maybe the greatest uh, college coach of any sport of all time, uh, oftentimes in fantasy sports, activity does lead to achievement. So follow the Adam Schefter lead on waiver wires. Would you have any, would you have had any apprehension about picking up Bryce Love this morning as I did? 
Uh, here's what I would say about the, here's my, my take on the Washington backfield is that you, what, you, what I can't vouch for is multiple Washington backs being successful within the same season. I don't think that two of them are going to stick as fantasy relevant. I think you have to plant your flag on one of these backup running backs in Washington and say, that's the player that I'm riding with. And uh, Bryce Love or Antonio Gibson. It's not, hey, I'm going to pick up Bryce Love and Antonio Gibson. I just don't see a way that this backfield in this offense produces two weekly usable pieces. I went back and looked at this, Adam, just out of curiosity, is that I would think, and you may opine differently, that this offense will be somewhere in the bottom 10 or so of the NFL, and maybe even the bottom eight. And if you go back and look at last year's bottom eight offenses, they only produce, and this is sort of logical here, five of the top 25 fantasy running backs. And in those cases, it was guys like Leonard Fournette and Le'Veon Bell who had such decisive edges in terms of workload versus the rest of the backfield that they kind of just volumed their way to fantasy relevance. I think given there's going to be a little bit of a work share or perhaps an entire work share in Washington, plus the fact that this offense won't necessarily be great, it gives me pause on getting too excited about multiple backs out of that backfield. Yeah, yeah. Phil, give me some predictions for the coming season in terms of an NFL MVP a rookie of the year, offensive, defensive rookie of the year, and a Super Bowl MVP. We got the season opening this week. We're taping this Labor Day weekend. Some people you're looking for to make noise in, I think, one of the most unpredictable seasons ever to try to nail down. Yep. So I'm going to go with, and I'm going to be consistent with the picks that I submitted. It'll be eventually on ESPN.com. My Super Bowl prediction was the Chiefs over the Saints. Um, you know, the Chiefs, I don't think it's hard to describe why we all believe in Kansas City this year. And I don't know about, uh, and this may be a little bit sort of declarative, but the Saints are one of the most all-in teams that I can yeah, recall really yeah. in recent memory. Uh, everything about their offseason has been geared towards making 2020 a memorable one. And that stands to reason, given that their quarterback, you know, Adam, if he's not, he is, he's, he's year to year. I mean, we are, Drew Brees already has a job lined up beyond – his Saints career. So this is a team that's very and, much off. And, and, uh, and, by, and, and, by, and by the way, I believe it will be his last year. You know, this, yes. I think he goes into this year. He's not going to say that, but I believe this is his last year. Now, again, he could always change his mind. Things happen. I got it. But I think we operate as if this will be Drew Brees' final NFL season. Yeah, I would think the same. It could very well be his last year. But I have the Chiefs winning over the Saints. Obviously, that would be the first repeat champion since 2003 and 2004. Uh, I went chalk with my MVP pick. I think Patrick Mahomes is set up in so many ways for just an incredible season for Kansas City. So that was you know, pretty easy to, uh, to suggest why I believe he's going to be the NFL's MVP. And then game MVP, Adam, if he won the MVP last year of the Super Bowl, when there were excellent cases for at least his own teammate, Damian Williams, then I'm going to once again predict that if the Chiefs are winning the Super Bowl, it's because of the strength of Patrick Mahomes uh, in, in that game. So he'll be my Super Bowl MVP. And then for the offensive and defensive rookie of the years, you know, I think a couple things to keep in mind are what positions tend to lead to the most fantasy success. I'm sorry, well, fantasy and real life success. But uh, Clyde edwards Lair is certainly a, a, a common pick uh, for rookie of the year, I would imagine, for most people. But you know, I think Joe Burrow is going to be in a really good spot, Adam, because he's going to start all 16 games. I believe uh, Cincinnati will be 
more successful. Not not a nine or ten win team, but I think they could win somewhere between five and seven games this year, depending on how quickly Joe Burrow uh, comes along. He's got a confidence about him I like, and I really do believe that you know the skill guys around him are are more than sufficient enough to help him put up some reasonable numbers. And then on defensive side of the ball, I always look at linebackers. It's the most quantifiable position in terms of stats on the defensive side of the ball. Patrick Queen out of Baltimore, I think, has a chance to, you know, 120 tackles wouldn't surprise me a bit for him. Uh, So Patrick Queen will be one of my picks for defensive rookie of the year. A guy who I think may not win the award but could have an incredible immediate impact is Derek Brown. He went seventh overall. Not that I need to explain this to you, Shefty, but in a different year, I'm not sure Derek Brown goes lower than like third overall. He is a play wrecker, incredible force, so consistent at Auburn. Really looking forward to seeing him. The Carolina defense won't be very good this year, but they do have at least one building block in Derek Brown. I submitted my picks to ESPN as well, and I do that every year. It seems like if we go back over the last five or so years, I think I picked the Chiefs and the Saints one or the other every single year, some years picking that exact same matchup. And as I filled out that ballot this morning, I literally said, you know what? I was thinking the Chiefs and the Saints, and it seems so obvious. And I said, I'm going to do something different here. I'm going to go off the board. And I picked a Baltimore-Dallas Super Bowl. Ha-ha, I like it. Don't know why. A little bit different. Very unlike me to do that. I usually have my Super Bowl pick. I usually decide on it sometime around May or June or July. And I have to say that with the pandemic, I gave it no thought this year. Like, almost no thought. Yeah. So when I got the email this morning from the great Ali Stonenberg and PR, I just said, you know what? Let's go a little different. Let's go with a matchup that not a lot of people are forecasting or predicting. And I went with the Baltimore Ravens versus the Dallas Cowboys. I went with Dak Prescott as my league MVP. We'll see if that turns out to be true. Like, Mahomes is unbelievable. But I just went for something a little less mainstream. And – I would not pick against Clyde Edwards-Alaire as the rookie of the year, the offensive rookie of the year, and Derek Brown certainly is as worthy and as legitimate as anybody else. Phil, I want to thank you very much for the time. You want to remind people one more time about where they can sign up for ESPN Fantasy as we get ready for our War Room Fantasy Draft on Wednesday night at 8.30 Eastern. Yeah, so if you head on over to ESPN.com slash fantasy, that'll bring you to the fantasy homepage, and it's very easy to navigate to the fantasy football sign-up page for there. I'd really encourage everybody to do it. And the good news is, uh, if you're listening to this anytime leading up to Chiefs-Texans, you still have time. And if you miss it before the Thursday night game, you can still draft on Friday or Saturday. We retroactively figure out the points from there. So a great opportunity to uh, spend some time or connect with people that mean a lot to you or meet some strangers on the internet, Adam, because uh, fantasy football has been known to bring some people together that previously had no relationship with each other. Well, Phil, appreciate it very much. Yeah, great job by the incomparable Dylan Schefter uh, with the draft lottery, landing myself and my partner, Matt Harrington, the fourth overall pick. Please give my best to Dylan. Yeah, well, by the way, yeah, for those who don't know, my daughter, Dylan, picked the lottery, the draft lottery, the draft order for our Warren League, and she stuck me in no man's land at number nine in the 16-team league, which I don't like. And she gave you number four, and she gave Matthew Berry 16, which she did Matthew Berry a favor, I think. At 16, I'd rather be 16 than nine. And she gave Lewis Riddick number one, and Lewis we expect to take in the number one hole, Clyde Edwards-Alaire at number one, because Lewis is a man of his word, and he has said from the beginning that's who he would take. And so I think that'll be the pick in our league, and then that'll leave Christian McCaffrey at number two for Mike Cambrary. And who's at three, Field? 
I believe Stefania Bell and Rob G are at pick three. And they'll take Saquon Barkley. I would think, yeah. And, and, and that'll leave, leave and that'll leave you with Ezekiel Elliott. Yep, that's that's exactly kind of how I figure it's either uh, we're gonna either end up with Saquon Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott, and neither one of those is a problem by me whatsoever. Well, good luck with the pick. Good luck with the draft. We'll see you this week. All right, Shefty. Thanks for having me on. There's Field Yates, one of the nicest and most knowledgeable people in our entire business. Before we get to our next guest, ESPN analytics guru Evan Kaplan breaking down week one in an insightful way. And now on to the next portion and guest in our podcast. Well, if we're bringing in ESPN's research specialist, Evan Kaplan, it must mean that the season is upon us. And as we kick off the action this week, we figured there would be no better person than to bring in the man who was a regular on this podcast last year and in other years, providing weekly statistical data, breaking down the matchups. And that's exactly what we're doing. Welcoming back Evan Kaplan. Evan, how are we doing? I'm great, Adam. Uh, thanks for having me again. I'm really looking forward to, uh, to being with you for another season. And, and most of all, I'm looking forward to, to getting things started with, with Texans Chiefs. It's, it's, it's going to be a season unlike any other, but, but let's kick it off, right? And again, I think so much of this offseason was about Tom Brady, and we're going to get to Tom Brady in a moment. But give me an idea of what these Chiefs have done this offseason, because when we think about it, they re-signed Patrick Mahomes. They extended Andy Reid. They extended their general manager, Brett Veach. They kept Sammy Watkins when a lot of people thought they couldn't. They made a ton of moves to keep continuity, to keep everything going. How would you say their offseason went? We'll add in the extension for Chris Jones, the extension for Travis Kelsey. You add it all together, the Chiefs spent more than $260 million in guaranteed money, just in guaranteed money. That was the most in the NFL this offseason. That was the most by any defending Super Bowl champion in NFL history. So as you look ahead to the Chiefs potentially repeating, and certainly with Patrick Mahomes having an extended run here, no team in NFL history has won the Super Bowl and then really just reloaded right away like the Chiefs have. So only eight, there's only been eight instances in NFL history of a team repeating as a Super Bowl champ. The, the last was the Patriots in 2003 and 2004. And based on what the Chiefs did this offseason, I don't think anyone would be surprised if not only winning this year, but they have an extended run going forward. I think it's important to put into context how rare some of those extended runs are right like we, we've seen other teams be in position and that's not to say that Patrick Mahomes isn't great and Andy Reid and the entire roster isn't great but things happen throughout a season that take you off that road to a Super Bowl it may that's what makes it so tough to win one you know here's the thing about them they are set up to win this season and they're set up to win in my mind for the next decade mm -hmm. and we don't know exactly who's going to be there but Patrick Mahomes will be there and Having covered the Denver Broncos from 1990 through 2004 before I went to NFL Network, the one thing that was always interesting about covering that Broncos team is that as long as John Elway was there, they always were going to be competitive. They always were going to be a playoff contender. They always were going to start the season as one of the teams that people were picking to be right in the mix for the Super Bowl. And it's the same exact thing with Patrick Mahomes. As long as he's there, I don't care who the supporting cast is, they're going to have a chance to repeat every single year and they won't do it every year 
but they'll have a chance to do it every year because he's that good and that dominant, and they've done a great job at keeping that core intact, and we'll see how that unfolds. The story of the offseason, like I mentioned, Evan, was a man who stayed in New England for 20 years and now has gone on to Tampa, has left. How would you break down this matchup, this historical matchup, between Tom Brady, the Buccaneers quarterback, and Drew Brees, the Saints quarterback? Well, when the schedule came out in May, this was this was the game, right? Week one, uh, Buccaneers, Saints, and we'll get to see it twice a year, hopefully with, with them playing in the same division. And you look at Tom Brady and Drew Brees, certainly two of the most accomplished quarterbacks in NFL history. This will be the first matchup all time between two 40-year-old starting QBs. They have thrown, the two of them, 1,088 combined touchdown passes in the regular season. That'll be the most for any game all time between two quarterbacks. And this is kind of an interesting one I found. You look at those 1,088 touchdown passes between those two guys, that's more than seven NFL franchises have in their history. So you look at putting that in perspective, there's a lot of other matchups within this game. Uh, obviously, Rob Gronkowski down with the, the Buccaneers now. Uh, Mike Evans and Marshawn Lattimore have had some good matchups in the past. I mean, this is a game where you could spend an hour just previewing this one game. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think that whole division is really interesting. I, I, I don't want to – everyone talks about the Buccaneers and the Saints as they should. The Falcons are interesting to me. They finished 6-2 and two last year down the stretch to kind of – keep Dan Quinn on. I, I think this is an intriguing division with those three teams. You know, he, again, I talked earlier in this podcast with Phil Gates about the uncertainty and the unknown factors this season. And here's something else, right? The Saints usually have a huge home field advantage playing mm -hmm. in their home building. I don't even know what it's called anymore. Um, yeah. I think they changed the sponsorship. Shady's Ben Superdome. No. Uh, no. It's changed again? I think it changed again. I think it changed. But anyway, What's it going to be like there on Sunday when Brady and Breeze square off and there's no crowd noise, basically, other than the piped-in noise from the NFL? What is that going to be like? Is that going to make a difference? Is that going to be an advantage, Tampa Bay, going in I think, there? I think that's the one thing that we have no way to project, right? We've never seen anything like that before. So you think about some of the biggest home field advantages in the NFL, whether it's the Saints, whether it's the 12th man in Seattle with the Seahawks, and how many false start penalties – They've forced throughout the years. I think that's one where we'll talk in the middle of October and we'll kind of see if it's had any effect or not. That's one we're going to have to wait and see, but it's going to be really intriguing to see what kind of effect it has. And meanwhile, the Patriots begin their season without Tom Brady for the first time in a couple of decades here. What will life for them be without Brady? First time without, they'll open a season without him on the roster since 1999, the year before Bill Belichick got there. But I think having Cam Newton there, it, it gives the sense of really moving on, right? They're not, they're not going to start Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer, at least to start the season, it appears. And Cam Newton certainly has struggled with injuries over the last few years. But you look at the last time he was really healthy, first eight games of the 2018 season. Panthers went 6-2. and two. He completed 67% of his passes. And if you want to look even deeper at those numbers, a lot of those were shorter passes. His his average pass distance was under eight yards then. That's what Tom Brady has thrived on in that Josh McDaniels offense for years. So I think certainly there'll be some growing pains, but I think Cam Newton could have some success there. And then this is one more I had to get in at him on this game. So Patriots lost their week 17 game at home to the Dolphins last season. They lost in the wild card round at home to the Titans. The last time the Patriots 
have lost three straight home games when you include the playoffs was 1995. So as they open week one of this season at home against the Dolphins, it, we'll see what happens in that game. But I, I couldn't believe I, I saw they lost two in a row. I went back to look at the last time they lost three in a row, and it was 25 years ago. That just shows the extended run of success that they've had. And we'll continue to put it in perspective with certainly a new look for them in that division and, and some a Bills team that made the playoffs last year. And, and they have certainly hopes to win the AFC East this year. Think about this when it comes to New England. Everybody's made so much about Bill Belichick and Tom Brady who needed who more, which I never liked that argument. Mm -hmm. But I think each guy on his own, no disrespect to the other, wants to show, hey, I can win without the other. Just natural, okay? So Bill Belichick has a point to prove this year. The quarterback for the Patriots, Cam Newton, Mm -hmm. was cut and sat on the street. He's got a point to prove this year. you got a lot of motivated people in New England this Mm -hmm. year with something to prove. And so I just think that that Patriot team is not the Patriot team that we're used to seeing, but it is still a dangerous team and I would not pick against them. And we'll see how the season turns out. One final matchup on Monday night. We started this podcast with the new Monday night football crew, Steve Levy, Lewis Riddick, Brian Reese. We have a double header. We have the, Steelers and Giants in the first game, the Broncos and Titans in the second game. What impresses you most about a great Steelers defense that is as good as any defense in the league on all three levels? I could talk about this one for a while, Adam. And when you look at last year and the Steelers, it's really incredible and speaks to that defense and also speaks to what a great head coach Mike Tomlin is. The fact that they finished 8-8 eight and eight with their quarterback play, which – Steelers quarterbacks finished 31st in total QBR, 31st in yards per attempt after Ben Roethlisberger went out. And the defense really kept them in games and kept them in the playoff race until the end of the year. And you talk about a defense that led the NFL with 54 sacks. They can pressure you from anywhere. So Bud Dupree and TJ Watt from the outside, they combined for 26 sacks last year. Cam Hayward on the inside, he had nine sacks himself. And this is something that when you really get into some of the analytics and some of the great things we can do here with what we call pass rush win rate which looks at how often defenders beat their blockers we were able to tell that because all three the the Steelers pass rush on the outside and on the inside is so effective all three of those players Watt, Dupree, and Hayward all double teamed at a rate lower than the league average at their position. So it's tough for offensive linemen to really focus in on one of them because they bring it in so many areas. And then, like, not to mention Minka Fitzpatrick at the back end, who changed everything with their defense when he came over in week three. Five interceptions, two forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries last season. You add all that up, that total of 10 was the most for any DB in the NFL. With Ben Roethlisberger back in the fold, I think this Steelers team gets back to the playoffs this year. Back to the playoffs, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Calling it right now. I am calling it right now. I am high on the Steelers this year, Adam. Do you think they win the division? I don't. I think the Ravens win the division. I think the Steelers get – and I would not – I don't know if they're going to get in the playoffs, but remember last year everybody talked about the Browns, right? The Browns are the darlings of the offseason. I haven't heard a ton of talk about the Browns this year, which might be a good thing. Kevin Stefanski's in there now. The offense is going to look a little different. I don't know if they'll make the playoffs, but I think the Browns are going to have a much better season than they did in 2019. 
Well, it all starts this week, week one this year. And I'll just say this, Evan. I think that if we had said a couple of months ago, two, three months ago, that week one is here, mm -hmm. it'll start on time. I think we all would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. It's hard to imagine that that's the case, but it certainly is. And I think the league and the NFL Players Association deserve a lot of credit for getting this all done. Totally agree, Adam. Can't wait for week one. Evan, we'll look forward to seeing you at the new studio. Have a great week. Be well, stay safe, and we will talk soon. All right, Adam. Sounds good. Thank you. And so there is ESPN analytics expert Evan Kaplan with unique insights and information into week one's matchups. And he'll be doing that each week for us during the course of the season. So we hope you enjoy his commentary and thoughts as much as we do. All right, before we sign off with a couple of final thoughts about this opening week, a huge week in all of our lives, we made it to week one, which is hard to believe. It is early September. We are getting ready for the Texans and Chiefs on Thursday night. And if we had talked about that possibility in March or April or May and thought about the chances that this game and this week would occur, I think we would have thought that the chances were slim. We've seen sports and conferences shut down, but football has persevered and football has gone on. And football's done a tremendous job handling this virus to date. We don't know whether that could collapse like a house of cards at any time. But what we do know is that the season's going to come off. The league is determined to play the full schedule of games. And I think the sport is going to march on in much the way baseball did when the season was on the brink. Football's here to provide us with some entertainment, a little bit of diversion. And as much as our lives have been upended and changed, it's hard to imagine what they would be like without football on Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays and whatever other days football decides to expand into this year. It decides to take over Saturday slot later in the season. And so I think as we begin the season, just generally appreciative and thankful that so many around the world of football have worked so hard to make this happen, that most people seemingly have been on their best behavior and understanding how important it is to adhere to the rules of society to make this happen. And now we're ready to go. It's here. Texans, Chiefs, Thursday night, all the action Sunday, the Monday night doubleheader that ESPN will take into your homes as well with the Giants and Pittsburgh Steelers and the Titans and Denver Broncos with my friends Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick on the call. I want to thank them for joining us for this podcast and basically giving us a little bit of a preview of what they will sound like in the booth together working Monday night and this season. I want to thank Field Yates for his thoughts on this upcoming NFL season that's now upon us. I want to thank Evan Kaplan for his breakdown of the week one matchups that he'll be bringing to us each week. And I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and getting through another week as we get ready to kick off this season. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast this week and every week as we now get to enjoy the fruits of our labor a little bit and kick back and watch some football. Please join us again next week as we'll be back in this space and we'll try to make sense of all the unpredictable things that happen in week one because it's going to be wild, it's going to be unpredictable, but football is back.
Enjoy it, everybody. Have a great week and stay safe.